Welcome to the Let's Get Entrepreneurial podcast, your go-to resource for navigating the world of entrepreneurship. In today's episode, we're diving into aspects of analyzing market size and growth potential. Join us as we explore the insights and methods to effectively assess market opportunities and set your venture on a path to success. The Let's Get Entrepreneurial podcast is your ultimate launchpad for igniting ideas and skyrocketing your entrepreneurial dreams. Tune in, buckle up, and let's unleash the entrepreneurial spirit within. Your two hosts will be Professor Gary Palin and serial entrepreneur Ryan Budden. Hello, Ryan. How are you doing today? I'm doing brilliantly. What about you? Still keeping very busy, as always. Good. Well, the fall semester is coming up for you, so you must be slammed. Yeah, I'm putting together the courses, making some adjustments on them, and it's still quite a bit of work. You think I'd leave well enough alone? Not with you, I don't. Yeah, I'm always looking for a way to improve it and do things better. It's continuous improvement. That's what academia should be. You would hope. <laughs> Today, I wanted to talk about analyzing market size and growth potential, because it struck me as we were doing some of the previous episodes, we were talking about market size, we were talking about growth, but we really didn't have the time to get into the nitty gritty of it. I thought we could take a little bit more of a deeper dive into looking at how do you analyze a market? How do you look at growth potential? I love it. I think some actionable steps that people can take based on those two indicators is a huge development tool. My first thought is the question would arise, why should you bother analyzing the market size and growth potential? The first one that I think of is just opportunity assessment. How can you look at opportunities and determine if it's viable if you don't understand the market size and growth potential? So there's definitely a reason to do this. Oh, absolutely. I think it's one of the first steps that I take from a really high level just to sort of get an indication whether an opportunity is worth it. And then taking a deep dive into actually how big I believe the market to be is the next step to see how much energy I want to put into it once I've made the decision to pull the trigger. And if someone wants to get a little bit deeper into that, we just did a previous episode about opportunities and characteristics of. Following up with that is understanding the market size and the growth potential that helps you with your product development also. Oh, big time. Understanding how big the market is and what specific characteristics make that market up is how you should be basing your products before you have customer feedback. And then once you have that customer feedback, integrating that into the original product. As we always talk about, you want to have a market pull component. So you need to understand the market so that you can develop a product that resonates with the target audience. That's exactly right. If someone is looking for outside funding, you absolutely need to understand the market size and growth potential to attract investors. Because if you don't present that in your pitch, that'll be the end of the pitch. And accurately represent it, not all of the United States or all of China. Those aren't accurate market sizes. Actually having an understanding of how to break a market down, show market segments, and show the size and growth of those markets is an absolute key metric for any investor. Yeah, you look at the total market as far as what the population is, but then the key is which ones are you targeting, which ones are the addressable market within that totality. That follows along with the targeted marketing. So you have to understand the entirety of the market, the market size. And as you just mentioned with the segmenting, where am I going to target? 
And especially when you're starting, because you don't want to try to sell to everyone. You just don't have the resources or time to sell to everyone. That helps you then split the total market into targeted areas and segments. And that increases your probability of success dramatically. It's almost like finding a niche inside of a market, which we've done a previous podcast on. Finding a sliver that's really appropriate or hyper-focused on the product or service you're offering. Another one, the reason to do this, and we're going to get deeper into this in a future episode, is a competitor analysis, because you want to understand what the competitive landscape is within that total market, who are the key players, and understanding their market share. Understanding what they're doing well, what they're not doing so well, and where you can fit in as a competitor. And from a futuristic perspective, you want to look at when you're starting, you're focusing on one particular area, but where are the probabilities or opportunities for market expansion as you capture market share in one segment? You may release with one product or service, but ultimately know you're going to get into the 20, 35, whatever it is. So understanding how big your competitors are, how many products or services they have to offer will give you a pretty good indication of where you have to get to. When you're analyzing the market size and growth potential, it really helps with your long-term sustainability. Oh, without a doubt. And with that, understanding a deeper knowledge of that information allows for greater risk mitigation because we talk about pivoting. The more you know about the market size and the growth, the better your pivot decisions will be as you move forward. Yeah. And although pivoting is a fantastic thing, it's not the goal You'd like to just have a streamlined business with no pivots. That's not what happens in reality. But the more you pivot, the more you shift, your messaging has to change, the more you can increase confusion with your customers and your internal team. And then the next question after you're looking at why do I do this is where do I get the information to do this? Yeah, well, that's the big one that I'm sure is dinging in everybody's head at the moment. I would start with secondary data. There's also something called primary data. And you would think you'd start with primary data, but I always start with secondary data. And what secondary data is, it's research that's already been put together. It could be government reports, market reports, academic research. So someone else has already accumulated this. Where primary research is something you're doing, which is surveys, interviews, focus groups, for example. Typically, the primary data is a lot more time intensive to come by. And I'm hesitant to see entrepreneurs delve too deeply into the primary research if they don't have any experience with this, because it's too easy to get the wrong information, not realizing you need specific expertise to do this correctly. Yeah, going and surveying 100 of your friends is not going to give you good qualitative data. There's so many ways that even putting a survey together, you can ask biased questions without even realizing they're biased. Right. And you don't have the funds to hire someone who knows what they're doing also. That's exactly right. It's important to point out, we're not talking about a small business that wants to launch a stand in the farmer's market where primary research would be a great indicator. Go and talk to your direct customers because they're going to be the people there. We're talking about nationwide, statewide, bigger than you have the capability of getting directly in front of your customers. And you're seeing more and more from a global wide. Oh, that's absolutely true. Another way after primary and secondary research, and this is, I know, one of your favorites is web analytics. Do you mind touching on web analytics? Because you know that much deeper than I do. Web analytics are a series of tools that you can use to judge web traffic. And web traffic is a really, really good indicator on how interested people are in a certain topic. So the easiest one 
it's free is Google Trends. If you just type in Google Trends on Google, it'll bring you into their portal and you can type in keywords. Just have a play around with it. You can see how much search traffic is based off of a single keyword, try and adjusting those keywords, comparing them. Google offers a ton of free tools on that. And it's a really great surface level indicator of a trend analysis. Another area that I always look at is, again, competitor analysis, but this from the perspective, I'll surf their websites, I'll look at their marketing strategies, what products are they offering, and it gives me insights into their marketing position, and then I learn more about where there's potential areas that I can differentiate myself by understanding them. That's exactly right. I'm always a big proponent of calling them and trying to probe a salesperson or chatting with a salesperson you can often find quite a lot of information about how they're giving their pitch, how they're selling something to you as well. Now, if you're in an industry-specific area, this is one that very often people will miss out is trade associations. They have a plethora of information about industries that very often, even if you don't join, they're willing to share some of it, if not all of it, with you just by asking. Absolutely. They exist to share that information. Oftentimes, they're very willing to do that. They can pull that data and that information from companies in that industry. So it's very fine-tuned. And they can make really great connections. I can't tell you how many times I've been probing questions about market size and data with some sort of trade association or network that the companies belong to. And they've made a really great referral of someone that's willing to talk. You can also have data collection on various online platforms SurveyMonkey, you and I use Typeform, there's Google Forms. They're pretty easy to use tools for creating and distributing surveys to a broader audience. Just about anybody that's proficient with the internet can create a survey and distribute it effectively with those tools. Another source of this information will be just monitor social media. That's a tricky one. It's sometimes hard to judge volume on social media, but you can certainly look at interest groups like Facebook groups or Instagram pages that people are responding to, see where the engagement is really high. LinkedIn has specified groups that you can join also and get information from that aspect. Yeah, absolutely. Oftentimes the LinkedIn groups really have some good information in them as well. Attending industry conferences and events, they allow an entrepreneur to garner quite a bit of information from talking to people within the industry. Just hanging out, rubbing shoulders with people that are in-depth in the industry. You can gain quite a lot of information doing it that way. Another way to gather information is forming partnerships, say with research firm, consultants, and universities. Hire a professional. We've talked a lot about this. When you're first building a team, understanding where your gaps in knowledge are so that you can go out and hire for those positions is absolutely critical. And that can look like a consultant where you're bringing them on temporarily to up the level of knowledge that you have or bringing a full-time person in or going to a university, like you said. The last one, and you could argue the most important is customer feedback. Yeah. Once you have customers, customer feedback has to be priority number one. How can you continue to tailor your product to make sure you're specifically building it around the people that are paying you for it? We've talked about why you should do it, where the information is. Now, there are different types of methods. We could spend hours talking about each method, so I'm just going to touch on them very briefly, so to wet their beak, if they will, to the listeners. There's a top-down approach. There's a bottom-up approach. 
the top down, you're looking at the total market size, and then you try to get subsets of that that you determine where you fit in. And that's what we've already talked about. Industry reports, government data, marketing research can give you that type of information. The bottom up is the opposite. So you're looking at smaller segments, and then you can, say, build upon that to determine where you fit into that market. Depending on the size of the market, it's sometimes easier to go bottom up or top down. There's two areas, total addressable market and then the serviceable available market, where the total addressable market is, as we've mentioned previously, the entirety of that, assuming there are no constraints or limitations. But then you put in your constraints or limitation to pare it down. The serviceable available market is you start with those limitations in reality, and you're looking at first your resources, what distribution channels you have access to, your capabilities, and then you start to analyze where you fit into the market. Another really important point to bring up here is once you have the market size calculated, the adoption rate is really important as well. And there are lots of online statistics that people will put out there for adoption rates in different industries. But you can't assume that because your market, even if it's pared down, is 100,000 people, that you are now have access to 100,000 customers. That's just not how it works, unfortunately. Looking at adoption rates to do estimations on how many customers that could actually turn into is really important. And you mentioned Google with the trends and keyword analysis. You can use that as a method to determine market size after you've gathered the information. It can also give you further information on how you fit into that marketplace. Without a doubt. The Census Bureau is also a big, easy, free tool to get into. The Census Bureau publishes most of their information for free, if not all. You can really get into market size with that as well. Also, you can look at the share of the market. So look at how market shares are broken down and determine which of the particular shares fit your particular profile of your company to where you best fit. Yeah, look how saturated it is. One that's a little cumbersome that might be cost prohibitive for individuals, but is still viable is focus groups and customer interviews. And it's particularly if you're running them yourselves, again, there's an expertise that's required there, but there are third-party companies that can run focus groups for you as well and get quite amazing information in return. Those are just some very basic cursory types of methods to analyze market share. But it is very important to do this upfront before you throw a lot of resources, both time and financial, into this, understanding what the market size is, how it segments out, and then where the trends are and where the growth potential are through your research. We've really covered how you can do it yourself. If you're in a situation where you have quite a lot of funds or you've received funds from an external source, there's large companies that can do this for you to a very, very high degree of proficiency, like Forrester and Gartner as well. Definitely. They can be pricey, though, but if you have the funds to do it, it's well worth your effort. Yeah, I wouldn't say they can be pricey. I would say they are pricey. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to be polite, but you're absolutely correct. Any final thoughts before we wrap up on this topic? I would say it's an amazing tool, even if you're going to do a brief jaunt into it to see if something you're thinking about is worth pursuing before you take the deep, deep dive and understanding the true size of the market. Yeah, when I'm looking at opportunities, this is very important to me because I always start off with all the reasons it won't work. And many people think that that's a negative viewpoint, but it's a faster way to parse ideas. Because if I start with all the reasons it will work, glass half full, if you will, mentality, 
I might be spending a lot of time where there is a deal killer in there that I am not paying attention to. So I start there. And very often this type of analysis will point to opportunities. Don't go here. It's not going to work. Yep. Amongst my friends in the entrepreneurship world, I'm known as the Debbie Downer. You bring me an idea, I'll quickly figure out why it's not going to work. <laughs> my students very often think of me that they say, you're so negative, Professor Palin. I say, well, I'm not being negative because I'm trying to save you a lot of time and effort and energy. But the beauty of it is once you find the opportunity that doesn't have that fatal flaw, if you will, then you know you can really, with confidence, pursue forward. That's exactly right. Well, that works. Let's get entrepreneurial. Let's get entrepreneurial. As we wrap up another episode of the Let's Get Entrepreneurial podcast, we extend our gratitude for your presence and attention. Your dedication to the entrepreneurial spirit fuels our passion for creating this podcast. Check out profspirit.com to discover resources and courses designed specifically for innovators like you. Stay on the cutting edge by following us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, YouTube, and other platforms as it is released. Until then, keep the entrepreneurial flame burning.